0: Good morning, and everybody who is joining me today on the podcast, thank you for your support, and today I have a special guest on the phone, Lisa Dion. She is an innovative and inspiring teacher and a pioneer in play therapy. She is a founder and president of Play Therapy Institute of Colorado and a creator of Synergy Play Therapy a model of play therapy bridging the gap between neuroscience and psychology. Lisa teaches and supervises globally, helping transform the lives of thousands of therapists and children. She is the only person in the world to be a senior certified Demartini method facilitator and a registered play therapy supervisor. Her training and understanding of how the mind and a person's biology drives human behavior, allows her to offer her child and adult clients a unique perspective and understanding on how to maximize their potential and develop a greater appreciation for themselves and the people in their lives. Lisa is, de- is dedicated to advancing the play therapy field worldwide through her teachings, books, and research. She is an author of Aggression in Play Therapy, A Neurobiological Approach of Integrating Intensity, and the recipient of Association for Play Therapy's 2015 Professional Education and Training Award. So thank you very much, Lisa, for joining me. I'm really excited to explore. um, So anybody who's on this podcast right now, most of my guests so far I've known personally. Um, I've only had a few that I've been introduced to so far, through um, mutual colleagues and Lisa and I have never met and I'm really excited to explore with her because I don't know if you know much about my um, current work but I'm an intern and I work with children in trauma and so I just want to kind of dive in wherever you want to start and I'm just really interested to hear what you have to say and your frame of reference and what you're doing in the world.
1: Awesome. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for the invitation to be a part of this. i super, super grateful and excited to have this conversation with you. And I think there's something fun about the fact that we don't know each other because I think it'll make the conversation um, more organic because clearly there's nothing going to be scripted about this. So we're just going to go wherever it's going to go. That's kind of fun, which is very much like a play therapy session. <laughs> so <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, shall I share just a little bit about myself and my background and maybe a little bit about center to play therapy just so that we can set the stage a little bit?
0: I would love that. Yes.
1: Okay. So my play therapy journey started back in 2002 at my internship. Um, I live in Boulder, Colorado and I was a part of a family team at a particular counseling center here in town. And it was really interesting because when I decided to join the family team, it was because I wanted to work with teenagers. That, that was really the area that I felt called to at the time and, and really did not want to work with young children because they scared me at the time, which was you know, interesting looking back and thinking about that. Um, and I had this lovely fantasy going that I would only get to work with um, teenagers. <laughs> and and my supervisor, who actually is my still my partner in crime, we developed such a strong relationship during my internship, and then I continued on with her afterwards. And she literally has, I call her my transition object. She's been with me literally since 2002. Um, I'm in one room right now play at the place there BSU to Colorado, and she's literally in the room right next door. We share a wall. So, uh-huh. she and I have been, been partners in crime ever since. Um, but she she was the one that looked at me, and she informed me that small children are also parts of families. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, if I was going to work as a family team, I was also going to have to work with um, with young children. So, I had my first play therapy session, and I, I loved it. I just, I loved it. And What I realized, and I think this is an interesting conversation to have, is that the thing that I was actually scared of was that I didn't want to be in relationship with the parts of myself that I instinctually knew I was going to have to face Mm -hmm. if I was going to work with young children, (laughs) and that, you know, and I realized that over the years, and so play therapy for me has actually turned into not just about working with children and helping children. It actually has been a personal uh, journey of transformation within myself, um, helping me see the different parts of myself that I wasn't loving fully, and understanding myself in new ways, and expanding my own capacity um, in, in the room, which I was unable to translate out to the world, um, so it's, it's really, play therapy has been a very spiritual practice for me, and has been a, a very transformational practice for me. Well, so that began my that began my play therapy journey back in two thousand
0: two. No, and I love that you're speaking to this, um, especially the part of like facing yourself. Because I just had, I still go to my own therapy, and I just had this moment where something uh, emerged for me with my teenage part, and m- me and my therapist got in a deep conversation about like how when it's safe enough, these parts of ourself reemerge, and it's like. It's like you get to like bring them back to to light or they get to be seen in places. It's almost like it's almost like you disassociate when you're younger from these parts that are too hard. And through therapy we get to reclaim these parts we've left behind or something.
1: Absolutely. And and I would go into the play therapy realm and say, I mean, we know this is therapist, but you can't take your client to a place that you yourself haven't gone. And it's so true in the room with, with children when you're playing with children or working with children that they, they need us to go certain places. And so it really it puts the parts very much right there in front of our eyes to go, okay. Am I willing to do the work around this? Right. Because this five-year-old who's standing in front of me needs me. Right. Right. Needs me. Needs me to go there. Yes. Yeah. And, and I can't go there unless I work with what's in the way of. Of maybe willing to go there, and so I to me it's such a rich experience.
0: Yes, and and like yeah. so that kind of brings in the pieces like that. I'm super interested about like you have, and I know you're setting the stage, but like <laughs> now I'm like ah, oh, I want to know so much. Uh, yeah, it's where great. where did you get in? Where does your neuroscience lens come in? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah.
1: So. Um, So let me just say that when I first started, back in 2002, I was trained in a handful of different play therapy modalities. And, and, you know, I I loved them. They were great. And for me, something very much felt missing in the experience. And part of it was that early on, I've always had a large capacity to work with trauma. And so my client load, even from the beginning, had a ton of trauma on it. I was also... um, and, I mean, these were a privilege. Because that's what it's felt like over the years. You know, I've worked with social service teams. I've worked in foster care agencies, adoption agencies. I've worked in orphanages. I've I've been on the front line with you know a lot of the the really big traumas that kids go through. And what I found repeatedly was that I was exhausted, just mm-hmm. completely exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, my nervous system was just like shot at the end of the day. And then I noticed that. You know that was affecting my relationships, and um, you know I was cranky, wasn't sleeping well, and, and you know I, I was. We talked about you know symptoms of vicarious trauma and compassion fatigue, and absolutely that was starting to set in because my caseload was so intense. But nobody had ever said what What do I do with that?" You know, people talked about self care, but they talked about it from the perspective of okay, make sure that you know whatever, you're eating well, or you are walking, or you're doing meditation, or some yoga, or whatever it is, after that you finish your day, or before you start your day, but nobody was actually telling me, well, what do I do in the session, and what do I do with that, you know, what do I do with the intensity in the session, what do I do in the moment, when I'm, when I'm hearing the story about this kiddo, and because I'm human, my body's having a reaction. Like, what do I do with that, that then? Yeah. And so there was there was mm-hmm. this um, missing piece for me. So I'll take that, and then I'll couple it with. Um, I had a, an experience with my daughter when I was 29 weeks pregnant, where I was in a, a hit and run car accident. Oh. And um, and I went into labor. I didn't deliver her at 29 weeks. Um, she went to 39 weeks. Thank goodness. Yes. But um, but I had a very profound. Uh, experience at 2 a.m. in the hospital room one night um, where I started to really listen and trust my body and my intuition to let my body do what it needed to do to stop the contractions and to work work with the anxiety and everything that was happening for me being in the hospital. And um, and I just had a profound moment of really thinking up with my baby. Mm. And, um, and the contractions actually stopped from that experience. And I spent the next couple months really trying to understand what was that, like what happened in me, um, you know, was it the level of mindfulness in the moment, was it my willing to just deeply connect with my experience in the moment, like what happened that allowed me to connect so deeply with another human being Mm -hmm. and it influenced both of our physiologies. Right. Um, And so, right? Right. It was really profound. And so to make a long story short, um, after that I was a high-risk pregnancy because of the accident. And when Avery was born, um, she was born very, Let's just call it dysregulated. Yeah. So, you know, we can go down the list of, you know, high, what are the symptoms of a high needs baby, and yeah. just check them all off. Yeah. And so Avery was Avery's is almost twelve now, um, but she was born in this world already with a perception that it's not safe to be here. Right. And it and it, ma- and it makes total sense because she had this in the utero experience and then the rest of the pregnancy was really chaotic so it made total sense and so my play therapy experience at the time again, it was working I was exhausted, something felt missing I had this profound experience with my own baby in the hospital room and then when she was born and dysregulated I didn't know what to do you know, between my own nervous system and then what was happening with her nervous system I was like, I had no idea what to do and Dan Siegel hadn't written any of his books yet. (laughs) I was like, like, um, you know, what we know now in neuroscience, they hadn't come out yet. And so, Nicole, honestly, what that led me to was hours in a library reading, like everything from medical textbooks to uh, books that were written by occupational therapists to just trying to understand what I needed to understand so I could help my baby. Yeah. That was really where this all, that's where this all started.
0: Wow. And, yeah.
1: <laughs> this is powerful. Yeah. It is. It is. It is. And and as I started to watch my baby heal and saw her journey over time, what I realized is that what I was doing with her is what I have been missing in the playroom. And, and that's when things started to come together for me of, wow, what if I take everything I'm learning here and I start to apply it in the context of play and out came synergetic play therapy so they, they that's, that's how that whole piece came together um, so synergetic play therapy is its a very very intuitive process um, and I've been so grateful that all of the leaders now in neuroscience are coming out with the research because they're giving the left-brain language to the felt-sense right-brain right, experience, right brain experience that I was having for years, you know, beginning to apply what I was learning in the room with the kiddos, and it's been a really profound, um, profound journey. Um, it, uh, it, it it bridges together. I shall say it this way. My, uh, my students tell me that it's not even so much a, a model of play therapy. The way they talk about it is that it's actually a way of being, mm. and they talk about it as um, you know, a guiding set of principles and an understanding of what's happening in the brain and in the body and between two people, and understanding of the mind and, and using that, that knowledge and those principles to create a philosophy on how to be in relationship with self mm. and with other. Mm. Um, so that's, that's how my students like to talk about it. So, you know, when when students sign up for my courses, what I'm really saying is, you know, welcome to the journey of discovering your authentic self and how to fully connect with yourself um, in the context of a therapeutic relationship so that you can really deeply connect with your client and and then the beauty of that is that then that typically spills over and then they start doing the same thing with their partners and their kids and, yeah. and lo and behold they're walking through the world actually in a, in a different way so it's kind of
0: magical actually yeah it sounds it sounds like it have you um i just i i'm a somatic experiencing practitioner so uh they they bring in some neuroscience it's not it like because you're working with the um biology of a human and how it kind Uh of interfaces with psychology and uh for me, the material is so rich, right? Like, it's like, I feel Uh like sometimes I I get it. And then sometimes I'm like, Whoa, I have no clue what just happened there. Like, so I mean, just because it's so, it's profound to, um, kind of work with somebody's biology, but then have them be present, like saying something different. Right. So I'm kind of wondering, and I'm glad that your book, I want to actually read your book. Um, Because Uh aggression comes out so much in play therapy, right? Yeah. And, like, I think a lot of times we don't know what to do with that. And and I have, like, a lot of theories on why we don't know. I think, like, um, anger from a, a lens of just like cultural culturally and worldwide what's going on it's hard for people to hold and then i think that it's shamed a lot when you're younger if not if if you don't learn in family system what healthy aggression and anger looks like and and then uh-huh. with domestic violence and all of the other onlays of what anger looks like in unhealthy ways and then like the way our culture holds it then there's like so so there's just so many like different Things going on with aggression and anger, period. That, like, yeah, for me, for me anyway, um, my own work with anger has helped me sit with anger in the room with my kids a little better. But I do notice that it's it's still a thing, and it's like, and and with the framework of knowing what Essie says about. Um, biology and this need for completion to, in order to like regulate and um, so like I have the theoretical lens but but when it's actually happening it can be like uh-huh. super intense right and yeah and then with not knowing exactly because I have that and I loved that you spoke to earlier about like your being a child and sitting with the pieces that are kind of like not... Healed yet for yourself, which calls forth healing for yourself, right? Like, like if if a child's going through something in a room, like then there also has to be something. Oh, my phone's beeping. I'm sorry. Let me. Okay, um. So, so my my thought process is is like I would love to hear. Well, I don't know actually. I don't know how to like. I want to have a big enough container for whatever appears. Aha. Um, for my children clients. And then I also notice because I work with a high trauma as well, lots of foster um, children and just that alone says a lot. And so the amount of dysregulation in their nervous system, and then the amount of like, uh, like attachment, the attachment piece that's missing, there is just like this huge surge of anger that arises. And, I, and I'm just kind of wondering yeah. if you want to kind of speak to that a little bit with, with your book and then also like what how that like um, maybe piggybacks in your actual um, therapy that you're training people to do in the room?
1: Yeah. So how about, this might be really fun for our listeners, how about, how would about I, I teach something? So that the listeners that are listening can actually take something super practical and go do something with it. I love it. Should we do that.
0: Yes, I love it. Yeah, let's,
1: let's do that. Okay. So, um, so yes, yeah, so we'll talk about aggression here. So I'll say a couple things just to give us a little framework, and then and then I'll get into some like okay, here are some specific things you know that can be really um, useful and helpful. So the first thing that we need to understand, and you're already speaking to it, is that we need to demystify aggression in the playroom. Um, aggression is one of the symptoms of a, of, a, um, of a heightened sympathetic response to the nervous system, which is your fight-or-flight response. So we know that when aggression comes in the room, we know that the client is activated in a ar- aroused state, right, that their, their fight-or-flight response um, has, has kicked in. Um, So that's just important just to demystify it, that aggression, it's really an extension or an expression of what's happening inside their nervous system.
0: Well, and I'm glad actually right there, I'm glad you're even naming that because I was talking about anger, which I'm like coupling with aggression, which isn't always true. So thank you, A, for just even separating that out.
1: Yeah, totally. Because um, I think I think that I, it's interesting. I don't actually think it's the anger that scares people. I think it's the aggressive energy that can become attached to the anger that scares
0: people. Yes. Yes.
1: Right. Yes. It's the it's the forcefulness or the intensity that that people um, experience. Yes. So. Um, so when that, when that happens, and, and naturally, let's also normalize that, you know, we all have our own experience and history with this energy. And so super normal that our own protective patterns are going to want to come into play. And one of the most common ones is to try to shut it down. That's a really common one. Um, and it also goes off of what you were saying before, too, of, you know, in addition to our own biological urge to say, ah, this is too much, make it stop, so in addition to that, um, we also have all the cultural messages that somehow it's bad and it's wrong, and also make it stop. So <laughs> there's not a lot of there's not a lot of um, permission for anger. Period. Right. You know, it's typically it's typically like a big fat no no.
0: Typically. Right.
1: right. Uh, not always, but typically. Mm-hmm. So no wonder as therapists when it comes in the room, we're like, I don't really know what to do. What to do with this. <laughs> And And oftentimes we approach it more from a um, like a right or a wrong, or I have to teach something behaviorally about this. It's like we move from the role of ah, this is a symptom of the trauma and an expression of the nervous system to, oh, I have to teach appropriate social skills.
0: Right. and
1: that's that's a big distinction to make because if we're working with trauma, that's not social skills training. That's right. not what this. That's not the. That's not the point of that session, right? The point of that session is to allow the the body to heal. And if the body needs to explore this particular state of the nervous system, then as clinicians, we need to find a way to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a way where we can still stay connected to ourselves and be in a relationship with our clients. So mm-hmm. that's, I think, a big just. Let's be clear about what we're doing and, and the, the role and the purpose of our sessions because we can get caught in, but they're not supposed to do that, and they're not allowed to do that, and that's not okay, and if they do that in here, then they're going to do it with their friends at school. Like, yeah. That's not the point of right. the
0: session. Right.
1: Yeah, so that's just, I think, big, just to get out at the very beginning.
0: No, I appreciate um, your naming that because I think sometimes, uh, as a clinician, we sometimes, like get looped into that thought process, right, just like using top-down coping skills, which isn't going to help heal. It will give them some tools, but in the end, it's just going to keep on manifesting if not actually dealt with.
1: Absolutely. The other thing that typically happens when a child expresses aggression, let's say in a school environment, because this is familiar to everybody, so let's say a child goes over and they hit their friend on the playground or something, typically the message that that child gets at that point is, hey, we don't do that. We don't hurt our friends. Something to that effect. Right. And, and actually, if we really look at that, the child just learned nothing about themselves.
0: Right. Nothing.
1: All they learned was that okay, there's this rule that I'm supposed to follow, and the inherent wisdom of the urge that I had was
0: wrong. Mm. mm. Yeah. Well, that's powerful right there. But like, like, seriously, what you're, what I just want to take a second to take that in because I, I think I think you're speaking to something really powerful because right there like being told so many times that like their a- their action is inherently wrong then a core belief of something wrong or whatever it like but it's still not going to be supportive to healing it's going to be um maybe shame or 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 maybe self-hate or something like that because it's going to be inherent they're inherently wrong
1: exactly and the wisdom of their body is wrong, right? There was a reason why they have the urge to hit. Yeah, There's, I mean, it, it, it didn't come out of nowhere.
0: Yeah, it didn't come out of nowhere. yeah.
1: Um, and so, if we're going to heal that, then that's the piece we need to explore. Mm. Not that that's
0: bad. Yeah. And
1: so, um, so, so therapy is about, in my opinion, therapy is about helping the child discover what that wisdom is in them and then teaching them how to connect with themselves in a new way so they can direct the energy in a different place but they don't they don't shut their own experience down. Yeah. Because that's where we know things start to go sideways. Yeah. And when there is this urge in the body and then we say, No, stop, it's bad, it's wrong and then the child, because the child isn't simultaneously being taught like, Okay, I get it. You don't want me to do that what do I do with it then? <laughs> yeah. um, then, then, then they start to internalize it, mm-hmm. and you're right; it starts to move into a, a shame-based experience. Um, it can create illness in the body. Yeah, um, it, can cre- it can create depression. Mm-hmm. You can then start to see the internalization of the energy, which later, you know, you become more susceptible to addictions and cutting, all kinds of stuff. So, there's huge ramifications for. Mm-hmm or um, this message of don't stop, you know, stop, we can't. And mm-hmm. so I take that to heart in the playroom. Um, so I want to just keep going on this and, and share one, one nugget here that's really helpful. When a child is playing in the room and um, the aggression comes up, and maybe it is there is a moment here where a boundary needs to be set, uh, because it is it is really, really intense. There is a way of doing it. Where this urge that we're talking about is super honored, so I want to talk about that because I think this is really important. Please, um, please. But the first thing that we need to we need to do is we need to talk about why you would set a boundary in the room or not. And in center play therapy, we have a we have a twist on this. So this may sound different or um, even odd, right, to some of the listeners. So in center play therapy, what we say. Is that in when you're working with trauma, right? You're doing a trauma session with a child, um, that, um, or you're just in the therapeutic process with the child, that the child doesn't need the boundaries,
0: the therapist does. Mm. Mm.
1: And uh-huh, because again, this is a social skills class, so the boundary is set
0: the moment
1: that if whatever it is continues, the therapist. Is about to go outside their own window of tolerance, and they will no longer be able to hold what's happening in the room. Right. As long as the therapist can hold what's happening in the room, and there's a there's a um, there's a you know the therapist is connected to themselves, they're mindful, they're regulating, which we'll talk about. Um, there is an integrative energy that's present, and there's an, there's integration that's occurring. The moment it goes outside that, and the therapist is about to like lose it, um, that's the point when the boundary needs to be set because the therapist can no longer stay in a relationship.
0: I love it. That's I, a, no, yeah, I, I do. I love and I love I love that because like then that kind of expands the container, right, for the client to explore and work through stuff. And as long as you're able to stay regulated, then what is the deal because like they're usually working like working out reenactments right so they're going to be like these high energy energy velocity type experiences that like re are recreated in the room so if we can hold it oh i love this okay okay go on sorry (laughs) processing (laughs) so so what i love too
1: about this is that what it does is it gives therapists permission to be human um, because one of the number one things that trips the par- uh, therapists up parents, parents too, parents and therapists, uh, <laughs> um, in relationship with in relationship with kids is that they try to be someone that they're not, and they try to act in certain ways because they think that's what they're supposed to do, not because that's what the mo- is needed in the moment or what their intuition is guiding them to do. and And when we're working with with trauma and this level of energy, what we need to be going into is more of the, the felt sense feedback that we're getting, so that we can adjust moment to moment. Right, goes into deep levels of attunement, which is not a heady. Oh, and what do I do now? And what do I do next? And what does the script say? Mm-hmm. That's not how you work with. That's not how you work with trauma because that's not trauma. I, trauma isn't even stored. I love. Trauma's not even stored that way.
0: <laughs> I love that you're speaking to all of this because, like, okay, okay, okay. So my whole entire like unfolding of like my podcast and like what I'm doing in the world and how that kind of, um, sits with me working with my, these children and trauma is that, um, I think the, the therapist role that we have and all the, um, theory and work that I've done to obtain a level of knowledge is so important. And then from a holistic perspective, I've just been thinking it's like, and really the healing just happens between human and human, right? Like it's not therapist and, and human. It's Mm -hmm. me being who I actually am with this person and who they actually are. And that, that has been like this whole unfolding for me. And you're speaking to something that's like super, like it's really, really resonating with me. And actually, um, thank you. It's because it's like this positive feedback loop that I, I, I don't know, I guess I don't, didn't need, but I guess I did need because a lot of, um, my therapist friends who have been supporting me through my little journey have said like, Oh, I love that you're doing this. And it's, you're, you're not acting quote unquote, like a therapist, which is so interesting. Right. And, and I'm like, well, because I'm not trying to be a therapist. I'm just trying to be me with the knowledge and help provide healing, which happens to be that I have have knowledge of being a therapist. But, like, I don't believe that that's what's creating the healing um, vortex. And so, um, thank you. I kind of needed that, like, reinforcement yeah. as a professional that, like, I'm on to something.
1: <laughs> you totally are. I can tell you that the, the greatest discovery that I- – that I have found so far in all my studies of neuroscience, interpersonal neurobiology is that it is the authentic self that heals
0: Mm.
1: to me. That to me, that is what all the literature is pointing to Mm. that any, any, any attempt to be someone that you're not is where things start to go a little weird. Um, But when we are, when we are fully ourselves and then that's a whole journey in and of itself. Yes, totally. um, (laughs) And, and, and again, and in the playroom in a therapeutic context, there's, like, what does that mean? And that's mm-hmm. a whole exploration. That's, that's in many ways what the synergetic therapy training is all about. Yes. What does that mean to be yourself in the room? Yes. Um, but that that's, to me, that If I'm not myself, I can't listen to the... I can't listen to my own body, and I can't fully attune to somebody because I'm so caught in my head, and I'm so caught in what I think I should be doing, that I actually miss the cues. Yes. And so that. And so there, I, I have to be willing to, um, to think into what is in the moment, not what I think it should be or how I think it should be unraveling. And, and, and to me, the, the neuroscience is just pointing, you know, just bringing all that to life, which is, um, I think, just so, so fabulous. Yes. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so with this whole topic of the authentic self and getting to be human – what I love about the boundary in this way is that, okay, so let's be honest. So if I had the flu last week and then today is my first, you know, I didn't have the flu last week, but if I did and let's say today was my first day back at the office, my window of tolerance is not the same as it might be in two weeks from today. Yes. And so my capacity to hold is, is, is not... Um, it changes. Mm-hmm. It changes by the hour. It changes by the day. Yes. Um, if I just got that, if I just get that news on the, um, you know, on the way to the office, what I can hold might be a little different than on a day where I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm just rock and rolling today. And so there has to be that fl- that flexibility of, okay, where am I today, and what can I hold? And so there may be. Um, I remember remember when I was pregnant. I um, I had a, a kiddo that wanted me to have a sword fight, so I had a, a sword in one hand, and then he handcuffed my other hand to a door.
0: Oh right? yeah!
1: And so I'm handcuffed, I'm handcuffed to a door <laughs> with a sword in my hand, and I'm and I'm and I'm pregnant.
0: Yeah, that's pretty intense. You know, there's
1: there's well, but there's no. I'm going to set a boundary because there was no way I could stay present.
0: Yeah. Because,
1: because my mind would have been so focused on making my baby's not safe right now. Yeah. And so, but if today someone came in and was like, all right, I'm going to have a store fight, and I'm going to hang up to the door, I'd be like, sure, okay, great. So, you know, and that, that's my point, is that where the therapist sets the boundary has to be very um, specific to where they're at at that time. So I have students that are like, Lisa... You know, when should I set the boundary or should I set the boundary here? And my answer is always like, how would I know? <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. Right. Well, so it's well, it's like how, deep, deeply working with yourself, too.
1: Yeah. Like, how, how, how would I know that that was time for you to set the boundary? You know, that's your own exploration. But when we do set a boundary, and here's the cool part, there is a way of doing it to maintain the connection and the relationship, and honor. Right, we were talking about that—that that, you know, the, the urge inside, or the you know, the wisdom of the body. And so, um, if I have a let, let's go, actually, let's go back to the kiddo on the playground. Just as an example, so that this feels clear for the listeners. The the kid that like walked over and hit his friends, let's say. So if instead um, a teacher had or someone had walked over it to that child and said something to the effect of, like, hey, bud, like, I, um, you know, I just watched what happened, and and I saw your body try, right, like, I saw I saw you try, um, I saw, you know, I, 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 I saw that you felt like you needed to do that, mm-hmm. um, and your, your body was telling you something, right, so, mm-hmm. so we're honoring, we're, we're acknowledging, and then we redirect. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we go into the conversation around, you know what, like, that's super awesome that your body needed something and that you listened to your body. And let's explore other ways when you hear your body that you can, you know, express and do what you need to do. Um, So it's, it's about acknowledging and redirecting so that the child learns over time, like, oh, the urge isn't, the urge, the urge is just the urge. And there are, there's like all these options of what I can do with that energy and and maybe I can express it in a way where I'm not getting hurt or my friend's not getting hurt or whatever that is. So we do the same thing in the playroom where if a kid is coming at me really hard, it's, you know, we have a lot of aggression in the room or well, let's just say the play is just so overwhelming and I, again, I'm at my point my window of tolerance. I feel the part of me that wants to start to control the kid, maybe come in. I feel the part of me that wants to shut the shut the process down those are all clues to me that I'm about to you know fill out my own fill over my own window of tolerance that's a perfect moment for me to um, for a moment just for pause in the play look at the kid in the eyes say his name I'll say Sa- or say I'll say Johnny right so Johnny I get it this is super important for you right we need to explore this and then here's here's the golden phrase. Show
0: me another way. Oh, whoa. Right. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, so simple, and yet it's like we're not talking about it. Show me another way. No. Wow. Way. And I get
1: it. And you need to do yeah. it. You need to keep exploring this. Like, this yeah. Is super important. So, we're not going to stop this. Just show me another way. And, and the message is, you know, because I want to be in a relationship with you, and I want to hang in this with you, and I just need this to be a little, I just need a breather here, but be with me in a relationship. Show me another way. Mm. And um, and it's so honoring. of It's the therapist honoring themselves and their own need in the moment, modeling to the child, hey, guess what, buddy? In relationship, you actually get to ask for this, too. And... The child then gets to learn that um, the therapist is with them, and that you know, in relationship, it, it's it's not. Well, I want to say this a different way, because I think this is an important piece. I think sometimes we miss as therapists the opportunity to really teach multiple nuances of relationship. Mm-hmm. I think with kids, we tend to just sort of hold space more for the kids and the relation, the the therapy, you know, about the kid, which of course it is. But in many ways, the, the therapy also needs to be about the relationship. Yeah, and um, and one of the key pieces in relationship is for a child to begin to learn, or anybody, that in relationship, if there's a give and a take.
0: Yeah, and
1: sometimes we have to adjust to to each other. Yes, because so sometimes the child does have to adjust. to Support the therapist. And the therapist is also doing a lot of adjusting to support the kiddo. But that's actually a beautiful thing to explore in the relationship dynamic in the playroom that we don't take advantage of. And so when we say things like, show me another way, um, it's an opportunity for the child to go, oh, got it. My therapist has needs. Okay, got it.
0: (laughs) No, Um, and I...
1: Wow, let me... Let me, kick, let me get my empathy to kick in a little bit here. Oh, let me become aware of other. I, right, let me pull out of myself and become aware of other and, and adjust.
0: And I just, like, I'm, I'm just kind of blown away. So, so I'm still an intern. So this is all still, I'm, like, you know, still not licensed yet. So I haven't been doing it for a long time. But uh-huh. I I've come to this place, and I think I think one of my professors said at some point um, in school, like the balance between part in self, and then the part that's attuned to the client and their situation, and then the and it's like th- three parts, and then the space in between, like, what we're actually co-creating and, and like, to have kind of a sense of those three things at all times in order to, like, really, Uh like, help support the field of, like, healing. Uh And so what I love what you're pointing to, and and this is, like, still, I guess, you know, like, therapy and being a therapist is also about, like, your unfolding, right? I mean, it, it just, I don't know why, but it just keeps on happening that, like, like you're pointing to something and I'm like, Oh, aha. Like that's kind of like, like you're, you're being non-directive. Right. So like, I love when, when something becomes over my window of tolerance because I'm constantly trying to like stay embodied. Like that's a big part of like my journey is not like poof disassociating and like merging with my client. It's like really deeply being like connected with my nervous system and my needs as well. So I can actually be fully present. And so when something like that emerges, I've, I've been more directive. Like I haven't said something like open, like show me another way, which is just like, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And I, I haven't thought of it for whatever reason. I'm more directive. Like, okay, so like that's whatever. It's a little bit too much for me. It's not wrong, but Right now, I'm feeling like – and I'll name the things I'm feeling because then that, like, also, like, allows them to start getting words of their own experience because then they start, like, exploring those feelings. But then I'll, like, kind of be directive about, well, let's try this or let's try that. Like, and and so, like, I'm kind of – in a weird way, now that you've framed it like this, is, like – I think I think I've been like on to something but it's also kind of taking away their sense of advocacy right so like I've've come to the place of my window of tolerance and then I'm redirecting but I'm redirecting in ways that are like a sense of like you know there's a control sense there not purposefully but it's just what I've been doing and what you say it like just leaves it open to Show me another way. So, like, now it's exploration again. It's still this, like, window of exploration for them to, like, figure out what, like, calls to them innately. And I just – it feels right. Like, when – like, just sitting with what you're saying just feels super – um, it feels whole and, al- and it aligns more with like my value system than what I've been actually doing so thank you what, uh, Like now, now I'm like oh my gosh maybe I need to take your training <laughs> 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 thanks <laughs> you,
1: well you're so, you're so welcome and um, I love I want to piggyback on something you just said um, which is I love that you give yourself permission to name your um, experience out loud um, in the room, because that's the I want to offer one other one other nugget on this um, on this podcast that I think is super helpful with this population and with the trauma and well, really just in general is helpful with uh, with people. Um, but there's a there's a process um, in neuroscience called interoception. Okay. And interoception interoception. Um, really speaks to how we feel each other. That's like a really simplistic way of saying it. And so the, the, the kind of uh, funny way of talking about it is, so, Nicole, if you and I were in the same room together, um, because you have a nervous system and I have a nervous system and they're both energetic in nature, they're going to say hello, right? My nervous system is going to say hello to your nervous system, and your—they're and going to have a little, gonna have a little chat together. <laughs> right? A little bit, they're going to—they're going to have a little dance, mm-hmm. and um, and all this is happening below conscious awareness. Mm-hmm. And I'm—and I'm feeling your nervous system, whether I like it or not. Mm-hmm. Right? And mm-hmm. my body is shifting according to the data that I'm taking in, and yours is as well. Right? So. We're, we're, we're we're dancing even if we're not aware that we're dancing. Yes. And, um, and oftentimes in the training as therapists, we, you know, we talk about that, uh, we, we don't, we don't acknowledge that that's happening. Or if we do, we talk about it in the sense of transference and counter transference, right? And you need to be aware of it because that's like the boogeyman in the room. And, um, and, and I go a different place. Where I go is I think it's essential that as therapists, we begin to allow that information to come up into conscious awareness because what happens is, as I'm with you, I'm going to feel something in my experience. If I allow it to come into conscious awareness and I begin to get curious about my own internal experience, it is actually from that point where um, I can become curious about whether or not you're having a similar experience, so it's actually where empathy starts to be mm-hmm.
0: developed, mm-hmm.
1: and um, and so it's a, it's a really beautiful beautiful part of the part of the journey, and, and in Synergetic play therapy, we 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 talk about it. We call it we call it the setup um, and the offering. So we use those phrases interchangeably, and the idea being that when we are around individuals, we offer them information to feel what it feels like to be us.
0: Oh, cool.
1: And, and yeah. Right, right? And yeah. so if a, if a highly anxious individual came into my office right now and sat down on the couch in front of me, I'm going to feel that anxiety in my system because of interoception and the mirror neuron system, mm-hmm. whether I like it or not. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Whether I like yeah. it or not. Yeah. Mm. So I, can, I, can put, I can pretend like it's not happening, or I can go, wow, I actually just got information about the inner world of my clients. Yes.
0: Um,
1: and, this is a, and this is a big piece because then the next question is, well, what do we do with that? And from a synergetic standpoint, we understand the mirror-neuron system and we understand that the fastest way and the most powerful way of learning is through observation. You know the, the the mind is constantly trying to create patterns and understand intention behind patterns. Mm. And so what we what we teach the therapist to do is in that moment to actually model regulation of that experience, so that the client actually watches the therapist learn how to manage their own system, so then they can internalize that as a template.
0: Oh my gosh so and
1: and part of that is naming the experience out loud.
0: So I what love that this. Would literally look like <laughs> you're brilliant. Okay, I'm not literally. joking. <laughs> <laughs> you're brilliant. Okay, keep going. Sorry, keep going. Okay. What that what that would
1: literally look like is a kiddo comes in and everything becomes so overwhelmed, so chaotic, and instead of the therapist just sitting there going like, "Oh gosh, wow, oh, my gosh, we've got to stop this or contain this," the therapist very somatic, right? The therapist is actually in the middle of the room, breathing, and maybe saying something like, oh, I feel this. This is intense. I feel the overwhelm in my body. Just focus on my feet, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Naming, naming their experience. I'm going to rub my arm. Ooh, I'm going to rub my legs right now. Yeah. Hey, okay, I'm going <laughs> to elongate my breath. Ooh. And what literally starts to happen within sessions is that the child starts doing the same thing when that energy comes into the room. Oh. Because they've been because they've been watching the therapist modulate it. And here's the here's the um, here's the, the, the 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 clincher piece of it is that because the therapist is deeply um, committed to regulating the intensity, they don't they don't integrate the trauma in their own nervous system. Yeah, in the moment, in the room, they're actually working their own nervous system so that when they leave at the end of the day, they actually have energy, they can go in from one session to the next session and they're not walking out of the session with the experience of vicarious trauma and compassion fatigue so it's just as much about teaching the kid as it is about therapist self care in the middle of an intense experience so that the nervous system can actually stay more more regulated and to me that's one of the most brilliant parts of the whole whole puzzle
0: no and i and i love i mean like you're I'm like so you are amazing, a. Eh? So in my own therapy, so I go to a somatic therapist and, and my reason for that is because um, I'm called I'm called to be a therapist because I'm a wounded healer, right? So like my, my nervous system uh-huh. already has predisposition of, of like trauma setup, unfortunately and fortunately. Yeah. And yeah. so I work with a somatic therapist with my intention of like really deeply owning regulation for myself so I can a bring it out to the world so I can not have reenactments and so I can sit deeply with a client in a way that you know I I would want to be sat with and when I sit with my therapist who is brilliant and regulated every time I leave like I'm I say to him um just by witnessing him hold the space in a regulated way how my nervous system like is able to drop in one layer deeper and how like I want the capacity to be able to do that with my clients right and like obviously I'm still learning and I love it so where I am isn't where he is I'm more in the area of like work where where you're speaking to where I I still have to like regulate myself like I like I think some people have um you know just different nervous system capacities and I veer towards anxious and so you know I might I might be doing these things like rubbing my legs or ant or whatever you know to to keep myself regulated with the client and I like that you're speaking to and I didn't have a cognitive like onlay of this but I don't feel at the end and I've had my supervisor even like reflect this to me that, um, I, I don't feel fatigued at the end of the day. Like some days are harder, but like in general with my caseload, I'm actually okay. And I like that you're speaking to like, um, there, there's maybe, maybe I'm not having as much vicarious trauma because I'm actually like integrating and dissipating some of the actual intensity because I'm actually naming and feeling my experiences in the moment as they're arising. And I, I didn't, I didn't know what was going on different for me versus others. But I think that like that, that just is a wisdom that's happened innately for me because of my own actual therapy. But like, I think teaching that like what you're, you're speaking to is like, Amazing! It's it's amazing. It's you you have like your pulse on something. Uh, I mean, I, I like really am actually interested in possibly doing doing your training. Yeah, like I mean, well, I'm, I I'm being I, serious about so this. We have, what's super
1: cool is we um uh we've created an, an online introduction course so people can actually learn anywhere. Um, so that, 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 is, that is an option, and we also do intensive trainings um, on-site in Boulder at the Play Therapy Institute of Colorado. Um, but, you know, for me, at the, at the end of the day, everything that I teach is what was present at 2 a.m. in the hospital room, uh, going back to that experience with my daughter. Um, and it was all about my own attunement and my own willingness to follow my my body and the understanding of what was happening in my body and my nervous system and to just get so incredibly attuned with myself so that I could attune to her and um and it's so powerful right it's just so powerful when that happens and, and at the end of the day um that is I mean I, I do believe that that's the healing I think you're in agreement with that too that is the healing force in the room it's the Um, that that right-brain-to-right-brain attunement with another individual. And um, I, I tell my students all the time, you know, a child comes to see you because they're trying to figure out how to be human.
0: Yes, yes.
1: And so many people in this world are not actually willing because they're too embarrassed or too full of shame or don't know how to allow their humanness to be okay and to actually model and teach, well, what do I do with the human experience of sadness or the human experience of of anger or aggression? And and so kids are lost trying to understand this human thing. And so I really think that the greatest gift we can give kiddos is to be deeply, deeply human in that room Mm -hmm. and deeply authentic because that's, at the end of the day, that's what they they need. They need a model on how to do this human thing. (laughs) I mean, really, like, it kind of boils down to that in
0: some ways, you know? Yeah, and I I fully agree with you, and I mean, I think that extends out into even adults. I loved that you were just speaking to, and I know we have to wrap up soon, but um, that you were just speaking to, like, our ability to empathetically attune to somebody sitting in front of us, and, like, we get to try on what their nervous system is like, so we get, like, some um, deep knowledge of their internal world through empathy and like our, our nervous systems doing this dance. And I had like it, well, and maybe, maybe this could be a whole nother podcast, but well, well, like, well you were speaking, I was just kind of wondering, and and this is the area I still play with uh, and I'm trying to learn for myself. And like, where, where is it that when, when we're doing this dance with adults or children and what is it that draws us because I, I feel like when we meet someone, we have like this like immediate we know we want to be around them or or we don't. and I do believe that that is fundamentally mostly this nervous system um dance that we're doing. and i'm I'm trying to understand through a trauma lens and reenactment that happens like because we, like, call forth these fractal natures of trauma, right? So we're, like, generally, if we're not, if we haven't worked out our trauma and have had a corrective emotional experience or some healing around it, then we call forth this this experience again, right? And so uh, I, and I don't want to simplify it, but I'm simplifying it. And so I'm kind of wondering, like, when, when we're trying on these people's nervous systems and, and we have this sense of, like, oh, I'm drawn to that, like, where do you start playing with the discernment of uh, it's healthy versus it's familiar or uh-huh. yeah. So like I have a lot actually there that I would love to tease out with you maybe on another uh-huh. podcast in the future yeah, because I maybe think we, maybe,
1: we, maybe we do
0: like a part two. Mm-hmm. Fun. Okay. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, I think that, I think that, that
1: the piece to, to, I think, like the place to just start with is the understanding that, right, like our nervous systems are going to say hello, right, whether we like it or not. And there's going to be a shared felt experience between us because of the, the activation of the nervous system. And that's, that's sort of like the we, right? That's our mm-hmm. shared experience.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the association, so the stories that I put on it, are mine. That's where my stuff is, mm-hmm. and then the associations and the stories that they put on it is theirs. Mm-hmm. So the work you're trying to figure out, like where's where's just for like the information, and then where do I need to do a deeper exploration into like my own stuff? It's it's when you cross when you move from the I'm feeling it, and I'm able to stay present with it. So now I can't hold it anymore, and now I'm in a story about it. Mm. I think the moment we create a story about it is an indicator that we've touched in on something in our own past, and that that's maybe a, a deeper place to look.
0: Ooh, I love it. Versus, yeah,
1: yeah. Versus just, I'm just having an experience of activation in my system. Yeah,
0: I like, I mean, that. So, so fundamental, this is, this is interesting. I have not had anybody yet like speak to this and you've just said something that I think like could be my next, I always have a next chunk of work to do, but like going from the felt sense and shared experience or just the felt sense and then going into my meaning making, like as soon as I find myself in my story, that probably has roots in in or does actually if I'm in my story that has roots in like unprocessed like because I like, yeah, like sometimes I'll deeply identify with my story. And I and sometimes I'm I'm fully aware I'm in my story and I'll justify it. And sometimes uh-huh. I'm fully aware I'm in my story and then I'm I'm just like witnessing it happening and I'm not really attaching to it. But I have to say like in in the when I'm doing that nervous system dance with somebody and I Innately feel drawn, I think it's harder for me to unpack my story from my felt sense,
1: uh-huh. which is kind of interesting. What I, what I would say is the work is just for you to be present with your experience in that moment because whether it's your story and it's something you're having to work through or not, the same thing is needed in that moment, which is to take a breath and be yeah. with it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And thank goodness I have some training around that.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Oh, my gosh. Thank Uh, thank you so much again for
1: this
0: invite. Like, seriously, thank you. You're amazing. You're doing great work in the world. I'm, like, honored. Thank you for taking your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Take care. And I will um, put this all out on all social media, and I will attach all of um, your information, and I look forward to being in contact in the future. Awesome. Thanks, Nicole. Have an awesome day. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.